Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Welcome to First Baptist Church, and this is a day that I've been looking forward to for quite some time, because in our series, The Fullness of Life, we have reached the section on the gifts of the Spirit. Just to review, we started off with talking about the importance of abiding in Christ. He is the vine, we are the branches, He produces fruit through us, we bear fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it all starts with abiding in Christ. And then we spent um, nine weeks very intentionally working our way through the fruit of the Spirit and what a full life looks like based upon what the Holy Spirit produces in us and through us. And now today, we move on to this next chapter of the series, and it is about the gifts of the Spirit, a topic that is so important... It is mentioned 155 times, 155 verses in the Scriptures, and the Apostle Paul takes the very heart of 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, three whole chapters, to talk about it, which raises the question, okay, Chad, why is this topic of spiritual gifts so important, that it gets so much attention, especially from the Apostle Paul? And the answer is, we will never become all that God intends for us to be until we learn to exercise the gifts God has given to us. I want to say that again because it's really important. We will never become all that God intends for us to be until we learn to exercise the gifts that God has given to us. Now that's true for us individually, and it is also true for us collectively, meaning that the church This church, this local body will never become all that God intends for it to be until we learn to exercise the gifts that God has given to us. So spiritual gifts are a key element to living this full or abundant life that we have been talking about. When I was a kid, my favorite Saturday morning cartoon, do you remember when cartoons were only on Saturday mornings? They didn't have like whole channels devoted to them 24 hours a day. Well, back when I was a kid, Saturday morning cartoons, my favorite cartoon was the Super Friends. Anybody remember the Super Friends? Yes, yeah, I hear some applause there. Um, A group of superheroes who comprised the Justice League of America. Sounds very impressive, doesn't it? Superman, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman. They, They comprised the original core group of Super Friends. But then over the years... That core group grew to include the Atom, Firestorm, the Flash, Green Lantern, Hawk Girl, Hawk Man, Cyborg, and Rima, the Jungle Girl, just to name a few. And uh, of course, let us not forget the Wonder Twins. Remember the Wonder Twins? Shape of and form of and all that kind of stuff. Well, the reason I bring that up, each one of these superheroes had their own unique superpowers and their own unique role to play. Each of these superheroes had their own unique superpowers and their own unique role to play in church. It is my conviction that the super friends are really a beautiful picture of what the church is to be like. For you see, according to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, every believer has superpowers. Every single one of us. They're known as spiritual gifts. 
And just like the super friends, every believer, every single one of us has our own unique superpowers and own unique role to play in the body of Christ. And when those unique gifts are exercised, when we tap into, understand, and exercise our spiritual gifts and fulfill our unique roles, this is what happens. God is glorified. The church is edified. Good triumphs over evil. And believers live full or abundant lives. God is glorified. The church is edified. Good triumphs over evil. And believers live full or abundant lives. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 has a lot to teach us about spiritual gifts. And we're just going to camp out there for a while, as long as it takes. And just as we have done so far in this series, I want to reiterate this, we will preach this topic expositionally. And this is what I mean by that. Um, Topical preaching begins with a topic, and then scripture passages are chosen to explain the topic. But in expositional preaching, it begins with a text, and scripture passages are explained and then applied to a topic. And around here, we tend to preach expositionally because I think it has some definite strengths. And these are what I view the strengths to be of expositional preaching. Number one, there's safety in expositional preaching. It allows the text to set the agenda rather than the preacher. And I think this is especially important as we study spiritual gifts that we let the text set the agenda and not the preacher. I can't just pick a verse and then go off on whatever tangent that I want to and make it say whatever I want it to say. So there is a safety in expositional preaching. And then number two, there's some training involved. As we engage a text together, in this case, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, I believe it models for the congregation how to interpret Scripture for themselves. And so you become self-feeders instead of depending upon a preacher or a teacher to tell you what the Bible says. So in essence, we don't just give you a fish, we teach you how to fish, which we all know is far more fruitful. So there is a training element to expositional preaching as we engage a text together, all of which is why we will preach the topic of spiritual gifts expositionally by walking through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Make sense? Okay? Doing our best to check our presuppositions at the door and follow the scriptures wherever they lead. So, turn with me there in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And as you are turning, let's set the scene at Corinth, a place that we have been to before. You'll remember from our earlier study that Corinth was one of the most influential cities of its day, mainly because of its location. And if we zoom in a little bit, we'll see why. Corinth was located on a four-mile-wide land bridge. And so to the north of Corinth was mainland Greece, and to the south, the Peloponnese Peninsula, making it arguably the most important crossroads of the entire Roman world. And here's why. Uh, By going across that narrow four-mile-wide land bridge, you could save 250 miles of dangerous sailing around the peninsula where the fact of the matter is there was often lost ships, lost cargo, lost life, because it was a very dangerous sail. And so to simply cut across that four-mile land bridge, it was a crossroads of both north and south and east and west. And so what they would do, 
Big ships would stop in Corinth on one side of that land bridge. They would unload their goods and have them travel across the four miles and then reload on another cargo ship, and then they would be on their way. And then small ships, this is what I find fascinating, they would actually drag small ships up on land and put them on rollers, and they would roll them across that land bridge. All of this meant that for the city of Corinth, it was big business. Big business. It was a hub that attracted people from all over the world, buying, selling, trading, manufacturing, lots of luxury and extravagance. It was all there in Corinth, which also made it big wickedness. Big wickedness. It, it attracted all kinds of characters, uh, many unsavory from all over the world, intent on striking it rich and living it up. And so, so wicked was Corinth that its name was even turned into a verb. To Corinthianize was synonymous with sexual immorality. And a Corinthian girl, you knew exactly what a Corinthian girl was, she was a prostitute. And when portrayed in the theater, the Corinthian was always drunk. So Corinth, the city, was big wickedness. It was also big spirituality. It was a melting pot of people and cultures, religions, and philosophies, and it had as many as 12 active temples representing all kinds of various gods, the most notable of which in Corinth was Aphrodite, the goddess of love, whose worship included a thousand cult prostitutes. So Corinth was big spirituality. But from the Apostle Paul's perspective, Corinth was also big opportunity. For you see, as the world came to Corinth... Corinth would then go to the world. And so think about the implications for the gospel. If Corinth could become a hub of Christianity, it could become a missions headquarters that could impact literally the globe with the gospel. And so because of that and having that vision and seeing the opportunity, in 51 AD, the Apostle Paul planted the church in Corinth. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 18. And then he stayed 18 months to disciple them, which if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, for him to stay in one place for 18 months, um, that, that tells us something about how important he viewed Corinth to be. But unfortunately, it wasn't long before Paul received news that things were not going well in Corinth. Um, many of the sinful trappings of Corinth had infiltrated the church, making it very unhealthy and dysfunctional. Um, check this out. These are some of the things that were happening. People were getting drunk at communion. Um, there was sexual immorality being tolerated in the church. There were all kinds of quarrels and divisions. They were always at each other's throats and even taking each other to court. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, a letter to the church at Corinth to correct them, to bring correction, to get them back in line with what he had originally taught them and the way that God would have them to function as a church. And one of those areas in need of correction was the exercise of spiritual gifts. One of the things that went wonky at the church in Corinth was their exercise of spiritual gifts. For in this area as well, there were many sinful practices of Corinth that had infiltrated the church. And so with that in mind, let me read today's text, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It's three short verses. Could, could we just stand together out of respect for the Word of God today? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 says this, 
Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm very, very excited about this particular chapter, this section of this sermon series. I believe you have so much to teach us. You have so much to teach me. And so, God, I pray that you would um, give us ears to hear, help us to be able to focus in. I pray against the evil one who wants to distract us, who wants to divide us. God, I pray for the ability for us together to engage your word and to hear your voice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the passage begins with the phrase, now concerning, which is a clue. It's a clue for us. It tells us some important things about our text. First of all, it teaches us that this is a transition to a new subject. It's a transition to a new subject. We've moved on from the subject matter of chapter 11, and now we're introducing something new. The phrase also tells us that this is an answer to their question. And you say, well, what question is that? If you read 1 Corinthians as a whole, you find different places where it's evident that the Corinthians had written Paul to inquire about certain things. They had a list of questions that they presented to him, and much of 1 Corinthians is his response to those questions. And chapters 12 through 14 comprise one of those sections, one of those answers to a question that they had asked them. And in this case, the question clearly concerns spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Well, what are spiritual gifts? We need to define them, and we're going to do so like this. Spiritual gifts are special abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to serve others for the glory of God. And so let's, let's take a look at this definition phrase by phrase. First of all, spiritual gifts are special abilities. The Bible contains several different lists of these. We'll probably touch on these different lists from one time or another. When you put them together, depending on who you talk to, there are somewhere between 18 and 27 gifts mentioned in the Scriptures. And just here in 1 Corinthians 12, the list includes the following. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation, apostleship, teaching, helps, and administration. And so just in 1 Corinthians 12, we see that's quite a diverse list of gifts, is it not? And some of them may have you already you know, scratching your head and saying, what is that all about? And don't worry, we will um, be very deliberate in taking our time and working through what these different gifts are. Next, these special abilities are imparted to Christians. They are imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit. Imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit. This happens at conversion. When you cross the line of faith, when the Holy Spirit came to indwell you, He also imparted these special abilities that are unique to you. 
All right, God had a special gift or perhaps gifts that he wanted you to have for you to fulfill a particular role within the body of Christ. And so they are special abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit. But it's important to note that these special gifts are not for us. They're not for us personally. Rather, they are to serve others. They are to serve others, to edify or build them up just the way that Jesus did when he was here on the earth. For you see, that really is the purpose of the spiritual gifts. We, we got to get this part right, because if we think that the gifts are for us and uh, simply for our enjoyment, we're going to get this really wrong. The real purpose of the gifts for us as the body of Christ is to be his hands and feet, to do what Jesus did. Jesus ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit to empower us and to equip us with gifts that we might do the things on earth that Jesus did when he was on earth. No, not one of us can do all that Jesus did, but together as a body, each fulfilling our unique roles and exercising our unique spiritual gifts, we can really do what Jesus did. As it says in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And ultimately, um, again, spiritual gifts, special abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to serve God, serve others, here's the point, for the glory of God. They're not about us, they're about God and His glory. And so when we exercise them, the point is that people see Jesus and not us. So, special abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to serve others for the glory of God. Let's go back to verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, or as it says in the NIV, ignorant. Ignorant. Now, Paul here is taking a loving jab at the Corinthians. Because you see, the Corinthians prided themselves on knowledge. They puffed themselves up with knowledge and even boasted about it, which was part of the reason that the church had so many divisions. And so here, Paul calls them out, saying, in essence, you all think that you're so knowledgeable, but by the way that you're exercising spiritual gifts, it only displays your ignorance. And I do not want you to be uninformed. Verse 2, he goes on to say, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. That word pagans can have several different meanings. In its broadest sense, it refers to anyone who was not a Jew. It can also refer to anyone who was not a believer. But it is also used here specifically to refer to the fact that these new believers at Corinth came out of these things called Greek mystery religions that were known for their ecstatic spiritual experiences. So here's the deal. In their former idolatry, the Corinthians pursued supernatural, sensual, immoral communion with the deity. Drunkenness and sexual orgies were part of the deal, as were hypnotic chants and trances. It was all about experience, and the showier the experience, the better. For it was believed that the more dramatic your spiritual experience, the closer you were to the deity. 
And what Paul is addressing here is the fact that this line of thinking had actually infiltrated the church. For you see, in the church, in the name of spiritual gifts, people were seeking ecstatic experiences, drawing attention to themselves, and ultimately bringing division to the body of Christ. The gifts were not about serving others, and they were not about bringing glory to God. It was all about self and self-aggrandizement. Paul then takes another jab at the Corinthian past idols. He goes on to say in verse 2, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. You see, the idols themselves were man-made and couldn't talk because they were pieces of wood or pieces of stone. And the believers at Corinth, they'd been delivered from these things. And their God is not mute. Their God is not dead. Their God had been raised from the dead. And he's alive and well. And now indwells them in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he speaks. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit. But while the idols themselves were mute, behind each idol there were in fact demons who did speak. And then their old lives, these Corinthians had been led astray and led into spiritual bondage by these demons behind these mute idols. And part of that bondage were these ecstatic experiences. And so here's the important question that's being raised at Corinth. Let's go to verse 3. Here's the question. How would the Corinthian believers know if their spiritual experiences and spiritual gifts were of God or of demons? Let me say that again. How would the Corinthian believers know if their spiritual experiences and spiritual gifts were of God or of demons? And perhaps this was the actual question that they addressed to Paul. When they were writing, maybe this is what they wanted to know, to which Paul is now giving them the answer. All right, verse 3 says this. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul is doing here, he's going to give them two tests, two tests to determine if their exercise of spiritual gifts and their spiritual experience is in fact valid. Is it demonic or is it of God? And here are the two tests for the validity of the spiritual gifts. The first test was a negative test. It was a negative test. Back to verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. That's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. And so when a spiritual experience is of demons, it is anti-Christ, it is anti-truth, and certainly when unconverted pagans were having an ecstatic experience with demons behind it, this is the kind of statement that they would make, a statement that directly attacks the name of Jesus and the character of Jesus, and it is contrary, clearly, to the truth of Scripture. And so the negative test to determine the validity of spiritual gifts and spiritual experience, is it consistent with Scripture? Jesus is accursed, is not compatible with the Bible. Therefore, it does not pass the negative test. Is it consistent with Scripture? Any experience, any experience that does not align from Scripture with Scripture is not from God, no matter how warm 
or fuzzy that experience may seem to be. Let me say that again. Any experience that does not align with Scripture is not from God, no matter how warm or fuzzy that experience may seem to be. We also interpret experience through the lens of Scripture and not the other way around. All right? Next, Paul gives them a positive test. A positive test. We go back to verse 3 for that. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So in contrast to demonic experiences which are anti-Christ and anti-Scripture, Jesus is honored. Jesus is glorified. And so the positive test, does it glorify Jesus? Does it draw attention to him? Does it make his name famous? Does it represent him and his character? Are people more impressed with him or with us? Because again, remember the definition, spiritual gifts are special abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to serve others for the glory of God. And so through those spiritual gifts, according to the mandates of Scripture, when they're exercised that way, God is glorified as we serve others as the body of Christ. And so church, those two tests, those two tests that Paul gave to the Corinthians, they're every bit as relevant for us today as they were to the Corinthians then. We too must continually ask, is it consistent with Scripture and does it glorify Jesus? Well, let's move to application today, asking that question, how should we then live? What are we to do in light of these first three verses? These are by way of introduction to the topic of spiritual gifts, what Paul wants to write in these three chapters. What I'm going to do for you this morning is to ask you to make three commitments as we start this new section of the series on the fullness of life. And as we have this chapter on spiritual gifts, three commitments. First, commit to being informed about spiritual gifts. Commit to being informed about spiritual gifts. Remember, Paul opened this section in verse 1 by saying he did not want the Corinthians to be uninformed. He did not want them to be ignorant. That goes for us as well, because there are serious consequences if we remain ignorant of spiritual gifts. God will not be glorified. The church will not be edified. And as we said at the beginning, we will never become all that God intends for us to be until we learn to exercise the gifts that God has given to us. We'll be more like this guy. All right? Remember him? Instead of this guy. I'm afraid the church has become far too comfortable living like Clark Kent when we've been called to serve like Superman. So commit to being informed about spiritual gifts. Show up every week with your Bible ready to take notes and apply what you learn, which leads to application point number two. Commit to follow the Scriptures wherever they lead. Commit to following the Scriptures wherever they lead. We, we all come here today with probably a truckload of presuppositions regarding spiritual gifts. So here at First Baptist Church, we're kind of a melting pot. We have people who come to us from all different traditions, all different churches, all different backgrounds, and, and we all have our favorite preachers and Bible teachers who have shaped our presuppositions. My challenge for you in this series, as we look at this topic, is to look at it through fresh eyes. Letting God speak to you through His Word. 
And by all means, like good Bereans, put what I say to the test of Scripture. But at the end of the day, I'm asking you to commit to following the Scriptures wherever they would lead, even if those contradict presuppositions that we originally came here with. And number three, commit to fully becoming all that God intends for you to be. For you to be. God doesn't intend for you to be like me. He doesn't intend for me to be like you. He intends for you to be like you, the you that God created you to be. So don't settle, don't compromise, don't compare, don't play it safe, and don't stay in your comfort zone. I don't want to oversell or overpromise here because the, your spiritual gifts may or may not enable you to leap tall buildings with a single bound, but this I do know, there's a very special role for which you alone have been gifted to fulfill in the kingdom of God. There's a very special role for which you alone have been gifted to fulfill in the kingdom of God. And when that doesn't happen, you are not all that you could be and should be, and the church is not all that it could be or should be either. To the degree to which you discover and fulfill that role is the degree to which you will experience the full or abundant life that God intends for you. So, how should we then live? Just very quickly, commit to being informed about spiritual gifts, commit to following the scriptures wherever they lead, and number three, commit to fully becoming all that God intends for you to be. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, your plan would not have been my plan. You chose to work through frail, fleshly human beings. You chose to put your Holy Spirit inside of us and to equip us and to gift us to do your work. What a mystery. And what a privilege for us to delve into that mystery together. Father, I ask again that we would do all that we can to check our presuppositions at the door and to simply allow your word to speak to us. May we follow the scriptures wherever they lead. And God, we, uh, we look forward to growing and becoming. And God, we anticipate great days ahead for the church of Jesus Christ and, and in particular this church body. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.